Hi everyone, welcome to another Firms Consulting Podcast. This is a very different kind of podcast because while I'm loading this onto the General Firms Consulting website, the audience for this podcast is not just Firms Consulting uh, readers, listeners and subscribers, but it's actually uh, the leadership of Lab, who, particularly the CEO and the head of special projects, who asked me to look at um, a topic they're having right now about whether they should change the recruiting policy and make it a mandatory requirement that every employee who now joins the organization has the ability to code in some software language. Right? And the belief is that everything they've read tells them that we're going into this um, economy whereby the ability to code would give lab an enormous advantage in the market. So the reason I'm making this podcast available is I think that the thought process we're applied to this question is useful to our readers to see how we tackle problems, right? And those of you who know me know that uh, I'm a very big skeptic of doing things just because everyone else is doing it, because that's when you lose a lot of money, or you lose your company, or you lose your pension. It must make economic sense. And this fits into the topic or the big theme we have running on our website called America Renewed, whereby we are helping um, tackle some of America's biggest social and economic and um, infrastructure problems. And the study we're doing for lab is to help them figure out whether or not they should enter the U.S. Uh, market to open up a retail banking network to offer loans to immigrant entrepreneurs and low-income entrepreneurs, basically those who are below the poverty line in the United States, roughly 40 million people, right? So I'm going to... This podcast is not a detailed analysis of the problem. It is a top-down analysis of the way we've thought it through so that the CEO knows how we're thinking about it and it can f help him frame the discussion he is having with his head of planning and head of human resources and so on. Almost certainly... A more detailed study is required, but this is going to help him think through what he needs to put into that study, right? So, so let's just look at this for context. Everyone is talking about these big changes coming across the U.S. and global economy. The New York Times routinely publishes articles about how schools are cropping up across the United States, training people with this new kind of skill needed to compete in the new in the workforce, right? You know, engineers are becoming popular again. Actual high schools are considering changing their curriculum to teach students the engineering skills required to compete in the new economy, right? New networked economy. Not only has that happened, in the last 20 years, we have seen the structure of executive and management teams in a company change. We have seen that reporting to the CEO, we now have an executive who understands these new technologies. It, that was never the case 20 to 30 years ago. It's a, it's a recent phenomenon. Typically, they have the CFO, the chief marketing officer, the chief operating officer, blah, blah, blah. And now we have someone who understands these new fangled technologies, right? It is a fact that every single company in the world will have some of their capital and operating expenses allocated to the new technologies. It is 
a fact that there is going to be enormous amount of infrastructure growth in this new sector. It is a fact that there have been numerous U.S. congressional studies that have come out talking about the fact that unless the United States not simply invests in the sector, but beefs it up quite dramatically, the United States will lose its competitive positioning you know, relative to emerging giants in the East who shall remain unnamed. And it is a fact that the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg have reported on numerous times that a certain as yet unnamed rising Eastern power has hacked in to the U.S. network and can actually take down the information architecture in times of war. So let's just recap the points I talked about. Everyone's talking about it. The New York Times are running studies about it. Schools are changing the curriculums. The CEO now is an expert executive guiding the companies in those areas. Expenses are going up for all companies in this space. The sector is growing rapidly. Numerous congressional studies, numerous hacking attacks. Now, based on that line of logic, everyone would say, but of course, it's going to be so big. Let's all do it. But what you don't realize is that I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the digital economy. I'm not talking about the newfangled internet economy. I am talking about the electricity industry. And all of these points I raised are actually true, but they're not from the last 10 years. They're from over 100 years ago. 100 years ago, when electricity was, or whatever, you know, it was a long time ago, when electricity had just come out, everything that I'm saying here is true. The New York Times published numerous studies about it. Schools looked at changing their curriculum to make sure that we trained a new generation of students who knew how to manipulate the electricity age. CEOs had chief electricity officers. I know it sounds bizarre today when you hear that, but there are companies like General Electric, major companies, massive industrial conglomerates, furniture conglomerates, retail conglomerates who had a chief electricity officer to help them deal with the problem. Every company spent money on electricity, that's a fact, whether on operating costs or capital cost to build generators. It was one of the fastest growing sectors in the United States at that time. Numerous U.S. congressional studies said that unless the United States beefs up its electricity sector, it would fall behind and become uncompetitive to the rising giant of the East, which was not China at that time, but Germany. And yes, the Germans had hacked into the U.S. system. Well, not hacking the way we do it now, but they had infiltrated the U.S. system and they knew how to take the U.S. system down in times of war. Now, the point I'm making here is that I think we can all safely agree that we are all not electrical and electronic engineers to be able to benefit from the vast you know, bounty of greatness that the electricity industry has hushed in for the United States and the rest of the world. I'm, I have a physics background, a thermodynamics background, so I know electricity works. But to be honest, when is the last time you had to know what's the difference between alternating current and, and a direct current to know how to use your TV, to know how to plug and charge it up an electric car, and you had to use your mobile phone? The point I'm making is just because something looks like a tsunami does not mean you need to know how to ride a surfboard. There is something called a helicopter, which you can call in to get you to be hoisted out of it. Now, there are some people who like riding the tsunami, and there are some people who need to ride that tsunami, but it's not for everyone. 
So think about this. The next time people tell you about, oh, everyone needs to know how to code. They just don't, they don't know what they're talking about. We've been here before. The electricity industry has had, in a, in a logarithmic scale, a thousand times bigger impact than the IT industry has yet had. And the, the, the information age is going to mirror and at some point have a bigger impact than the electricity sector has ever had. But will it be different in its impact and does our response have to be the same? Does everyone need to know how to code? No, not really. In fact, here's a very interesting concept, right? When a sector is new and needs to be nurtured, then you need dedicated specialists to control it. That's why when companies were just learning how to deal with electricity, they had a chief electricity officer. That's why when companies are just learning to deal with IT, they have a chief information officer. But after a while, technology, the internet, all of it is going to be so ubiquitous that it doesn't need to be nurtured. You don't need a specialist dedicated. We're all going to have the necessary skills, not necessarily to code, but to interact with it and leverage it. And I can guarantee you this, within a few decades, much sooner, I would guess, chief information officers, chief uh, uh, network officers will disappear. The title will be irrelevant because it will be a ubiquitous skill, just like what happened in electricity. We don't have chief electricity officers anymore, right? This is a very interesting dichotomy is that when something is young, it needs to be nurtured. But as it becomes more and more ubiquitous, it doesn't need nurturing because it is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's not going to be killed by some bad decision because you can't kill something that's everywhere, right? The second thing is that and this is an important point. You don't need to know electricity, anything about electricity to figure out how your lights work. You don't need to know anything about how electricity works to buy a TV. As something becomes ubiquitous, you have the foundational knowledge to leverage it, but you don't need to know how to code it. I mean, up to this day, I cannot connect my TV properly. I, I have to buy these TVs where you have just two plugs to put in and then it works, right? So as something becomes ubiquitous, we get standards being created. As standards are created, all of these terrible systems that now occupy the world like Twitter and Facebook will disappear. Yes, they will die, unfortunately, and we'll have standard operating systems being created. And because the systems become standard, we actually don't give, we don't have to care about the API that Twitter has out, the API that Instagram out, has out, the, the, the API that I don't know what, Pentagram, whatever the other one is called, has out, because it's irrelevant. Systems become standardized. That is the way things work. Someone wins the war, someone loses the war. It doesn't matter who wins it or who loses it. Things become standardized. As our operating knowledge increases, we don't have to be the next, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg to benefit from anything. We just have to know how to use it for our own benefit. So don't invest in this technology the way that Lab wants to invest in it because it's not Lab's core business. Lab's core business is providing loans to low-income entrepreneurs across the United States and Latin America. Now, if you wanted to automate that, it draws analogies to me to the business process reengineering phrase started by Hamill in the 1990s, where every company decided to launch business process reengineering schemes. But before you re-engineer a process, you have to figure out what you want to be how are you going to deliver it? And then you automate the process. And coding is a lot like that. Before you decide you're going to code something, you first need to decide what it is you want. What is the process you want to code? And then you code it. You don't just, the mere fact that you code something 
doesn't make it better because you can end up coding a pretty ridiculous process. And here's a really interesting fact. Automating a process doesn't make it better, even if, it's, even if you adjust the process. You can have the world's best process, but if, it, if the organization is not incentivized to use it, and if you don't change your organizational structure to effectively deploy it, you're going to fail. So all this obsession about coding everything and launching an app doesn't change the fact that you need to code the right process, doesn't change the fact that you need to incentivize the organization to use it, and doesn't change the fact that you have to basically change your organizational structure to make it work. So when people talk about coding and apps, I roll my eyes. It's no different from the BPR craze in the 1990s. It's just a new channel to market. This is channel economics we're dealing with, people. It's not changing the world. Yes, everyone wants to think it's changing the world. It's like when you know the first dot-com craze happened. People thought, oh my God, the laws of strategy and economics are going to stand still. And what happened? Well, a lot of companies ended up standing still when it came to revenue, but the laws of economics and strategy did not stand still. The point is you're simply dealing with a new channel and like every new channel that was created, yes, you have to reconfigure your organization to adapt to the channel, but nothing really changes, does it? Think about the early stages when we had mail order catalogs from Sears. I mean, Sears ruled the world, the world's largest retail store. And then the internet came along. Yeah, the internet changed a lot of companies, you know, eBay came along, Amazon came along, but they just changed the channel. Companies didn't disappear. New companies came out, but they still have the same thing. They have a CEO, they have an organizational structure, they have fraud, they lie a lot in their annual releases, they still have to make capital investments, they still have to make operating investments. So companies still existed, but the channel changed. And now we're seeing an evolution in the channel. But just because you automate the channel doesn't mean you've fixed anything. You've got to first make sure the process has been optimized, set up incentives, and change the organizational structure. And this has been happening since the dawn of mankind. So don't, you know, exaggerate the process. The second one is that, does everyone really need to know how to code in Ruby on Rails at Lab to be able to know how to use software that is coded by someone who knows what Ruby on Rails is? And actually, I'd like to know who this lady was called Ruby and what she was doing on a rail. I mean, where does that come from? But anyway, that's a different point, right? So my advice to Lab is that you don't need to know how to code to use software. And the issue is not how to code, but the issue is how do you benefit from the people who can code? And the question is, does Lab have to make this an in-house skill? Is this something that Lab has to do? Or is this something that needs to be outsourced? Beyond that, why doesn't Lab just make its data available to the market and let some expert in Eastern Europe and so on figure out how, what to do with this data? Why does Lab have to do it? So when I think about this, I agree that the organization needs to be better equipped at using technology. No doubt about that. But I'm not convinced that being better equipped at using technology means I have to be able to know how to code. I'm not convinced of that. So. The question I think the company is asking is not what is the benefit of everyone being able to code because that's the wrong question. The question is how should Lab position itself to benefit from all of the technological changes taking place in the market? 
And if you position yourself with that question, you may realize you don't have to learn anything about coding, but there may be a different way for you to benefit. So that's my response to Lab on this. Um, always remember that things that we're seeing now have happened before in other industries. The world didn't come to an end. Electricity didn't save mankind. We still have wars. We still have husbands and wives cheating on their partners. We still have inequality. Technology is not going to change that. In any case, it may actually accelerate those things. So be very wary of being caught up in the hype because journalists are not strategy consultants. They are emotional in what they write. As always, if anyone has any comments, I'll be more than happy to respond to them. But pay attention to the way I've analyzed the problem. Pay attention to the way I've used analogies. Pay attention to the way I've broken down the key questions that need to be answered because that's the way strategy consultants think through problems.